Halfway down the stairs is a stair where I sit. There isn't any other stair quite like it. I'm not at the bottom. I'm not at the top. So this is the stair where I always stop. So I thought we'd start out today's episode by talking about Muppeteer Jerry Nelson, who recently passed away. Okay. Okay. Jerry Nelson, he was Robin and Floyd and Pops and Snuffy and Gobo Fraggle and all these other wonderful characters. He He's significant enough that the very first thing he ever appeared in was uh, The Frog Prince, which was, uh, which was the Muppet... Uh, the Muppet special that first featured Kermit the Frog as a frog, and introduced Robin as uh, as his nephew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was uh, that was Jerry Nelson's first role. And uh, the only reason I bring that up is because I'm looking at all the news reports and everyone's crediting him as uh, the voice of the Count. I, and I understand that because uh, while he had retired, he was still doing the voice of the Count. He wasn't he wasn't puppeting the Count. But in in recent in recent years, that's like all anyone would actually know him as. But he's really an, an important uh, part of the Muppet history, and uh, he he'd been there from virtually the beginning. And uh, um. He he would make he would make cameos occasionally. Like the the one cameo he did that was uh, that was really special was in the, the Great Muppet Caper. It's it's the scene where where Kermit is sitting on uh, sitting on the park bench, and it was right after uh, Miss Piggy had walked out on him in the in the in the restaurant scene, and uh, these two these two uh, people walk by, and the the daughter says, "Look look, father, there's a bear," and the father says, "No." No, uh, that's that's a that's a frog. Bears wear hats, and that was that was Jerry Nelson and his daughter. And the thing about that is his daughter was terminally ill at that point, and the reason why she's in that scene and has a speaking line is so that she could be part of the the actors' union, so that she could get uh, benefits. And she had actually died. Um, I don't remember if it was immediately before or immediately after the movie came out, but she had died like very very soon after that. Well, she was in her 20s when she passed away, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, any, uh, any Jerry Nelson memories <laughs> from well, either of you Well, um, guys? Jerry Nelson was one half of the two-headed monster. That's right. Uh, Richard Hunt, uh, was the other half, and, uh, the two of them had, um, had, uh, I guess beach, ha- like, vacation homes right next to each other, um, and, uh, they would just gibberish at each other from across the way. Uh, and that's how they created the voice of the two-headed monster. <laughs> I can believe so, that. So, yeah. Um, he was also uh, Sherlock Hamlock, Sam the Robot, Snuffleupagus. Uh, just a, a, S- Scary Snuffy, right? Uh, I don't know about Scary Snuffy, but <laughs> he, was, he was definitely Snuffy. He was, also, uh, he was also Robin, who is one of my favorite Muppets. Uh, Robin being uh, Kermit the Frog's nephew. Um, and then he also had the same voice as Gobo Fraggle, uh, which was essentially Robin's voice with a little bit of uh, Canadian uh, thrown in for, for good measure. So, eh? so uh, he was also the voice of Emmett Otter. That's right. And um, but yeah, uh, he, um, I'm looking at the list of, of, of voices that he did, and, and just so many characters that I, I absolutely love of his. Uh, Doctor Julius uh, Strangepork is one of my favorites from Pigs in Space. Oh yes, so <laughs> that was a good one. So there um, we go. It's uh... yeah, I, I think we just about did it. Uh, we lost someone very special, and uh, we'll be back after this. The Webcast Beacon Network has been covering and promoting creativity and the creative process since 2007, starting with the Web Comic Beacon, a topical web comics podcast with a jovial bunch of misfits like your local morning radio show. Also, the Web Comic Beacon Newscast recaps, reviews, and discussions of community and industry news relative to comic creators, especially of digital distribution. Also, the Tropecast, the ever tangential discussion of literary and visual memes. And finally, Web Fiction World. Before web comics, there was independent and self-published web-release written fiction and literature. Find this all at webcastbeacon.com. Be sure to grab a master RSS feed or master iTunes feed and not miss a thing. Oh, God. We ready for the Jungle Book? 
I am. I actually, uh, I actually watched the, uh, the the two Chuck Jones uh, uh, Kipling stories as well. <laughs> okay, let's get started. Okay. Hello, welcome again to Animation Aficionados. Uh, this is your host Ben, joined by my co-host TV Mister Neil. I have summoned you here for a purpose. And we have joining us uh, Rick from the United States of Geekdom. How do, sirs? And tonight we're talking about the Jungle Book, Chuck Jones's Jungle Book. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> and that was supposed to be the gag, Rick, but yeah. apparently you studied anyways. <laughs> yeah, I studied. <laughs> see, I think see, he knows for, you too well, Ben. Yeah, he, I do. He, he knew me for five <laughs> minutes, so. Yeah. What happened was, this was, just for listeners to know, is we were originally going to do an episode on Ghostbusters, but everyone asked. Yeah. <laughs> see, that would have like, been that would have been really funny. Now, like, okay, Ghostbusters as in the real Ghostbusters or the one with the two dudes and the gorilla? See, everyone asked. Yeah, see, we were going to we were gonna bait and switch on that, which would have been <laughs> hilarious, but no one would fall for it. But anyways, back to Chuck Jones's Jungle Book. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you want to go there, sure. <laughs> that, that's, that's the idea. It's, uh, we're we're going we're gonna to continue on with this. I'm glad you study it because at least you'll be able to contribute, but... Yeah, definitely. Um, one thing I have to say is he definitely is using the same composer that his studio was using for those Tom and Jerry's. Yes, yes, it, yes, he was. It was very, uh, very much in the same, uh, same music style, the same, uh, actually, the same everything, pretty much. I got in my favorite short out of all these is Ricky Ticky Tavi. I love Ricky Ticky Tavi so much. That one is is one I, I one to start is I love the Kipling story. Um, and then when I finally was able to track this down, uh, from, uh, family home entertainment, uh, FHE, which in the old days, uh, on VHS, uh, would actually show like the, the initials for the company being written in crayon, um, <laughs> yep. with like this really annoying, uh, electric, uh, electronic music. Uh, and they would always plug, uh, Mowgli's brothers and Ricky Tiki Tavi. I never got to see them until the DVD release uh, years and years later. And uh, but yeah, good stuff. Definitely good stuff. Definitely. And uh, like I said, I just love, I just love Ricky Tiki Tavi because you have Orson Welles do the narration, mm-hmm. and you can Which, tell that you can tell this is around the time you know around the uh, Frozen Peas era. Orson Welles. <laughs> <laughs> we know what place Lincoln share. <laughs> <laughs> right smack dab in, in the frozen peas era <laughs> i thought the uh the, the narration was good i, I love the voice work on the snakes which is almost like a whisper uh that was I, I thought that was really really cool yes and, and, and uh both of these uh mowgli's brothers and ricky tiki tabby actually followed um the the success of uh the other jungle book uh from disney yes it did but honestly, Ricky Tiki Tavi is a much stronger story, in my opinion. I enjoyed Ricky Tiki Tavi because it because it's because the expressions, the animated expressions, you know, the uh, this this is really Chuck Jones really experimenting again, and and it, it really, you know, it kind of does shy away from the most violent parts, but at the same time, it lets you know that Ricky Tiki Tavi is biting the snake right behind its head and its neck, snapping its neck and killing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they, they they don't they they don't get more more violent than they need to, and I think they they pull that off rather well. Absolutely, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it so much, and and really the other thing I enjoyed was definitely was definitely Coltec the White Seal. See that one, I I actually took issue with. Um, I I I was telling you uh, about a week ago when we were when we were talking off air. Um, the thing that I, I took issue with, uh, with the white steel was they, I mean, Jones pulled, pu- pulled no punches. I mean, he showed full on showed the seals getting club. I think and, part of it was because, you know, just like in the, in the, in the vein of what uh, Kipling was doing, mm-hmm. he, people, he wanted people to understand exactly what they were doing in Nova Scotia. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. In 
and really it, it it is a very fun story because because you have you have Coltec seek out the the walrus and then the sea cow mm-hmm. and my favorite line is actually when when Coltec sees the sea cow and he says he is uglier than the walrus and the whale <laughs> says I think that's purely academic <laughs> but really it is a very nice story and <laughs> yeah and you know Mowgli's brothers is another very interesting story it, it I think this one embodies more of it actually is a lot closer to the Kipling story than the um, than the uh, Disney movie. Yes, it was. In fact, uh, Walt, when he was uh, like right before they started working on uh, storyboards for uh, for Jungle Book, Walt walked into his uh, animator's uh, studio, had the book in his hand, and basically just threw it in the middle of the room, and he said, "Okay, write the script without having to read the book." <laughs> and um, and yeah, I mean. The the big thing with with uh, Jungle Book is that it it has to a lot to do with uh, with the uh, the collapse of, uh, of another project that was um, that was going to start months before, which was uh, the film uh, based on sh- uh, the story of Chanticleer, uh, which was later on adapted into a film by uh, Don Bluth. I think it was called Rockadoodle. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> so it was down to Chanticleer and the Sword in the Stone. Well, you know, we all know which one got made. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they made the right choice. I, I, I don't know. I, I've seen the storyboards and the and the artwork by Mark Davis for uh, for Chanticleer, and it would have been insanely good. I think it would have been really, really good. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, Wolfgang Reiterman and uh, an animator Floyd Norman actually uh, were the ones that really helped spur the the release of uh, Jungle Book. So um, Reitherman was so impressed by uh, by by Norman's uh, storyboards that he said, "Let's just go. Let's go ahead and show it to Walt." And when Walt saw it, he was like, "Yes, let's let's go with it." Mm, interesting. So, yeah. But uh, did the Disney animators ever have an official statement on the Chuck Jones version? Uh, no. As no. usual. Yeah. No. Um. I mean, Jones was a was an admirer of of Walt's. Um, I mean, he, he met Walt briefly, uh, like while in the hospital, uh, Jones was in for some, uh, for, for, for surgery. And he just happened to be in the same bed in the same room right next, uh, like with his, uh, next door neighbor, as it were, uh, being Walt Disney. And he just, he just said, you know, I, I, I really like your work and, and Walt recognized him and said, I'm a, I really like your work too. So, I mean, they, they, they clearly admired each other. At, at, the, at the same time, there are definite thematic differences, not only in just their interpretations of the story, just in the way that they interpret animation, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, very. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. it's very clear that uh, that Chuck Jones loves drawing animals, especially small mammals. Cause <laughs> one thing yeah. I notice in almost every cartoon he's done, like uh, from the, at least the 40s and onward, is that he likes to draw them twitching their noses and the... the uh, the way the whiskers will just kind of twitch back and forth. He yeah, gets their he, mannerisms. Yeah, he I, really he really enjoys that. Yeah. In the but, sarcastic look at the camera, I think he stuck one of those into the Jungle Book. Yeah, I definitely yeah. saw one of those from Shere Khan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the, like the sly eyes, like kind of like winking at the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I like, especially in in the Chuck Jones interpretation, is definitely. How Mowgli defeated Shere Khan with fire. I thought that was a very well done, creative interpretation of, of, of you know, just just from what's in the book. Yeah, true. And also, uh, I love that scene quite a bit because uh, the movement of Shere Khan and the way he's like he's batting at the fire. I mean, the Disney animators clearly did their their homework in studying uh, cat movement and all that. Yeah, there's a you know, obviously the Jungle Book. When people think of the Jungle Book, the Jungle Book is a multi-chaptered book with many stories that aren't just the Mowgli story. Mm-hmm. The Jungle Book is also, you know, the Coltec story, the the Wiki Tiki Tavi story. There's actually there's actually at least, if I remember correctly, two Mowgli stories in there. There's there's like a there's like a time jump, a time skip. Um, yeah, yeah, you could definitely say that. Yeah, 
Because I remember the time skip is after the time skip, there's a story where Mowgli is a teenager and actually kills Shere Khan with a spear. Yeah. yeah and they're not going to animate that one, Neil. No. <laughs> because that story ends with, with Mowgli laying out Shere Khan's skin on the ground and dancing around it and singing about how he doesn't understand the world. <laughs> wow. Well, what I really like is the emotion in Chuck Jones's delivery of of the in the Mowgli and his brothers, where Mowgli is saying, "You keep on calling me a man. Well, I'm a, I am a man, and if I'm a man, I'm a master of you beasts." Mm-hmm. And and just that whole delivery was just excellent. And really, really, I enjoyed it more because it it just it just felt it just felt really primal. You know, versus versus the Disneyized version, which um, I'm not. I know this comes off as a slight, but it really isn't. But you know, in, in everything Disney, you have you have happy animals, and one animal who's a bit of a jerk that spoils it for everyone else. In 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 Chuck Jones's uh, Mowgli and his brothers, you actually have this feeling of these are animals. Well, I mean, Disney has a has a. I don't know. They, they, they like to make it more family friendly. Uh, Chuck Jones was, was working with the, was working with the, the, the actual material of the books of, uh, Kipling's books. And I think that was the big, uh, that, that was the big difference is that Jones stayed close to the source material while Disney just had fun with it. Yeah. And what, what I like more is, is is also you know when Mowgli makes the decision to defeat Shere Khan with fire, and declare himself a man, in front in front of his his pack, you know mm-hmm. you know there's no going back after that. He can't decide. Oh well, Shere Khan's gone. I'm just going to keep on playing with the wolves. No, he, he no that's a decision now. He has to leave now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. While in in the the Disney version, it's oh he sees a girl. Oh hormones. <laughs> <laughs> No, oh, that was one of those things I always took issue with. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, in 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 the Chuck Jones version, it feels more heartfelt that he had to make this decision to save this to save his pack, and to save his pack, he has to leave. It's it's sort of like a it's sort of like a uh, sort of like a lone wanderer moment there. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> I agree. So, so yeah, it's a. Uh, Definitely, it, it is. It is a little short, but all together, all all the all the Chuck Jones Jungle Book shorts together makes a great viewing experience for children. And I actually consider Ricky Tikki Tavi up there in any viewing experience for any child. Yeah, I actually watched that one with uh, with the kid the other day, and he he quite enjoyed it. And, I, I uh, just love the chattering Ricky Tikki does when he's confronting a snake. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Also, a uh, little known fact about uh, Chuck Jones, he actually did uh, work for Disney briefly uh, before getting uh, called away to, to work over at Termite Terrace with Warner. Uh, he he worked on uh, on Sleeping Beauty. How much did he uh, work on Sleeping Beauty? Because I've, I've... That I'm not really sure, but I know he is... Uh, he definitely... He definitely worked for them. Uh, there was a uh, documentary called uh, Chuck Jones Extremes and In-Betweens uh, from a, quite a while back. But, uh, yeah, he definitely worked uh, for Disney uh, briefly. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And wasn't that wasn't that also uh, one of the uh, one of the movies that uh, Don Bluth had worked on? Um, I think I remember that he did. Don't believe so. Oh. I think that was I think that was early for Bluth. Yeah, that was very early for Bluth. I think the first. How old do you think Bluth was, Neil? <laughs> Let's see. Don Bluth's first uh, project with Disney was the Fox and the Hound. No, I'm sorry. No, strike that. He did. Uh, Let's see. He did uh, Robin Hood, Winnie the Pooh, and Tigger 2, The Rescuers. He also did that short film, The Small One. Mm. Okay, he was an assistant to John Lounsbury for Sleeping Beauty. Uh, wow. So he does go he does go far as far back as 55. Wow. Okay. That's that's amazing because because even my mentor said Sleeping Beauty changed everything for animation. Yeah. So that's that's kind of like a weird crossroads of have a movie that you know technically had Don Bluth and uh, Chuck Jones on it, 
even though you would barely yeah. you would barely even know. Yeah, mm-hmm. all I need all you need to do is just find a way to say Tex Avery was on it too, and then all of a sudden you'd have like the universe implode. Yeah. <laughs> and John Kay was there too, somehow. <laughs> He's in his diapers. <laughs> I don't think John Kay was even alive, Neil. John Kay would find the way. <laughs> Yes, he would. Oh, my God. Amazing. <laughs> but, yeah, over, overall, I think I think Chuck Jones really did put together a superior, uh, mature product, I would say. Yeah, it was definitely a mature product because I can't, I can't knock the Jungle Book. Um, Disney's the Jungle Book. I can't because there's so much that I, I like about it that it's, it's one of those ones that uh, I, I consider a, a definite uh, part of my childhood. But um, but yeah, I think uh, I got to hand it to to Jones with uh, with his work because he definitely yeah, as you said it, uh, Ben, it was definitely a more mature work. And I, I I remember seeing it when it, when my parents actually rented it from a local public library, mm-hmm. and I was I was really amazed with it because because it was totally different from the the Jungle Book I knew. It was like wow, this is totally different. Mm-hmm. You know, there you know there was Ricky Dicky Tabby and Mowgli and his brothers. I'm like, wow, I want to see more of this guy. And I didn't know I was already seeing more of him on on the Saturday with the Bugs Bunny and Tweety show. Yeah, yeah. In some of those occasional Tom and Jerry reruns. Mm. Yeah, the the Tom and his Tom and Jerry stuff was a little weird. Yeah, little. It was, <laughs> it was quite weird. Yeah. At least it wasn't Deitch. Oh, here we go again. <laughs> Rick, how do you feel about Gene Deitch? Um, not familiar with his work, or I might be, and I I just haven't. He did the Czechoslovakian Tom and Jerry's before Chuck Jones took it over. Dicky Moe. Okay, I'm definitely not familiar with that. Now. <laughs> I heard that Neil. I heard that Neil. <laughs> well, he did. He did Dicky Moe. <laughs> oh yes. Okay. Yeah, that's all you have to say there. Yeah, that's like See, the most famous one. Oh, man. Those were weird. Actually, actually, The Simpsons did a perfect uh, parody of, of Gene Deitch once. Worker in Parasite. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that one? That one's been a while. Yeah, that's been a very long time. I, <laughs> I think actually Brad Bird worked on Worker in Parasite. <laughs> How's that make you feel, Neil? Wow. But back to Chuck Jones. It's yeah, definitely recommend the entirety of Chuck Jones's Jungle Book for any child to view, even Coltec, because I think people really need to understand where their seal meat comes from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would even go so far as to say, uh, even his. Like the other stuff that he did that was non-Warner, like uh, not just the the Jungle Book stuff, but also uh, a Cricket in Times Square, a, a Very Merry Cricket, uh, stuff like that. I mean, that's got some charm. It's got some real charm to it. What about the movie about the circle and the and the line? Not familiar with the that. dot in the line. Pardon me. That was one of oh. his. Yeah, one of his yeah. MGM ones. Yeah, that was that was that was that was good stuff. Yeah, the bear who slept through Christmas. Uh... Yeah. What what was the Pogo one he did? Uh, he did uh, a Pogo movie. He did a he did a Pogo uh, uh, special. I don't. It was making it was making fun of holidays, so I don't remember which holiday it was. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it was Arbor Day. Of all, well, of that's all, a, I, uh, think, I think I know why, I think I know why Chuck Jones did that because that was like a couple years after it's Arbor Day Charlie Brown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's actually really cute. It. Yeah. As much as I like the claymation pogo, I think uh, Chuck Jones' pogo ended up being better. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's Chuck Jones. Yeah. So I think we said all we needed to. It's definitely recommendations all around the panel today for Chuck yeah. Jones' Jungle Book. Although, Chuck, there is one thing that the Disney version has that the Chuck Jones one doesn't have. Lewis Clint, Clint Howard. Oh. <laughs> Clint Howard? Yeah, he played he, he played the uh, the elephant son. The, the baby elephant in that, in that Disney one. Seriously? He, that was him. Wow, that that I didn't know. That's yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, that's like that's the reaction I get when I tell people that Will Wheaton and uh, and 
uh, Shannon Doherty were in uh, The Secret of Nim. See, that I knew. Yeah. But. So, to our listeners, sorry about the joke post. <laughs> it's, uh, I hope you're all good sports about it. I, I just, I just, I could not resist, and Neil did not stop me, so Neil gets half to blame. Hey. Hey. <laughs> but yeah, okay, yeah. Clint Howard, how about that? That's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, we promised to do a, a Disney Jungle Book episode eventually. Oh, yeah, <laughs> we certainly will. <laughs> So we can talk about the the goofy Xerox looking animation they have. Yes, yes. Well, that was that was a, a major trademark of uh, of uh, Reitherman's uh, artwork and like his styling, uh, starting with uh, with his films that that he that he started with. Uh, oh gosh, what was his first one that he did? Um, let's see, first one that he did was 101 Dalmatians. Uh, starting from that, I mean. Uh, that that period of, of time from uh, 1961 through 1977, all those movies were all uh, Woolies, and um, and yeah, and each uh, every single one of them had the same sketchy uh, feel to it, and you could see the you could see the sketch line from the animator, you could see that kind of stuff. I think it it, it adds a certain authenticity to the to the proceedings. Yeah, I do too. I, I do too, and uh, I always heard that part of that was always due to the to the after effect of using the prototype Xerox machines. That's yeah, that, that's entirely possible. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule that out. All right, so we're wrapping this up, and we do promise to actually talk about the real junk, not the real Jungle Book, but the Disney Jungle Book eventually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this is your host, Ben. With TV's Mr. Neil. And Rick Gutierrez of United States of Geekdom. We're saying goodnight. Goodbye. Peace. Do you like retro shows? Did you grow up in either the 80s or the 90s? Then tune into Telecast, geekcastradio.com's newest podcast. Join us here on the Telecast as we revisit some of your favorite shows, such as Clarissa Explains It All, Salute Your Shorts, Saved by the Bell, and much, much more, only on GeekCastRadio.com. Hey, listeners. Animation aficionados will be recording a Slayers episode in late August or early September. Between now and then, we want you to send us a recording of yourself doing the Naga Laugh, the most outrageous laugh or laughs will be played on the show. Send an MP3 of yourself to neil at animationaficionados.com. Hey, I'm Gary. I'm Mike. I'm Chuck. And I'm Justin. Join the four of us every week on the Internet's number one and longest-running G.I. Joe podcast, What's on Joe Mind? It's Joe news, reviews, and interviews like you've never heard them before, delivered right to your MP3 player. Our guests include Jason Marsden, Kevin Michael Richardson, and Matt Yang King from G.I. Joe Renegades, Larry Hama, Robert Atkins, and John Barber from IDW Publishing, and many more from around the online Joe community. Yeah, it's guys talking about Joe. Think of it as Joe talk meets sports talk. And we make fun of Chuck. Right. And we hey again. Come on, Chuck. We're just kidding, kinda. Sometimes Chuck makes fun of himself. Right. And we okay. Seriously, this is just getting ridiculous now. It's what's on Joe Mind every week on the Geekcast Radio Network, InsidePulse.com, Stitcher Smart Radio, and iTunes. Download and listen today. I suppose I still can't say something about Transformers, can I? Good. No. What about sports? That sounds good. Yeah, that's all right. All right, so we can. That was, uh, that was a quick one. <laughs> well, that yeah. well, it's it, they are shorts. Okay, but okay. We, this is our after show. You can hang around. We talk about other geek stuff. Yeah. Okay, and yeah, we, sometimes we, sometimes we leave the recorder going just in case we get any gold. Yeah, a lot of a okay. lot of our shows now <laughs> nice. now have like post shows in them, and I got tired of editing them out. So okay, <laughs> <laughs> because some of it is gold, and and yeah. and Fess hates that kind of stuff. Fess is like, well, well, you have to stay on top. You have to stay on task, and. It's, he actually complained to me. You know, only thirty percent of the episode was about bleach, Ben. The rest of it was just post-show stuff. You should really have it separate. You're gonna piss people off. No one listens to podcasts are longer than an hour, Ben. Oh, give me a break. See, that was the uh, I stayed slavish to that for so freaking long with the uh, with um with my first podcast. I I, mean, I was. I was like, oh, got to stay at an hour, got to stay at an hour, got to be, you know, got to be a slave to that. Yeah. Um, I was lucky if I, if I recorded 15, 20 minutes and that was me recording on my own. So now with, uh, with USG, uh, I, I go hour and a half, two hours. Uh, I think the longest that we've done is, uh, 
was our Alan Moore episode. We did two and a half hours. Uh, how's the old snake worshiper doing? <laughs> you know, a lot of the, a lot of how what I think of it is is uh, you know we have like a main topic and then we have like like smaller subtopics now and like mm-hmm. all the subtopics are post show and and that, a lot of the subtopics are topical. Yeah, and yeah, we t- we do talk about animation in like the in like the post show, so why not leave it in? Yeah, and the, sometimes we just say some really funny shit too, like. Uh, <laughs> One of the funniest things that happened, I I, I loved it, was uh, when I was I was re-listening to the Jim My Little Pony episode, Neil, and in the pre-show, when Kidiak was talking about going to uh, the Netherlands mm-hmm. or or to to Sweden or something, mm-hmm. and I said, "You want to go to the land of the ice and snow?" And both of you started singing that singing the immigrant song. <laughs> yeah, we did an immigrant song duet. <laughs> well, actually, the funny thing is, is you're doing the drum beat and she's doing the screams. <laughs> Just out of nowhere, it was almost like it was rehearsed. <laughs> One of the best songs ever. So, the Immigrant Song. So, you recorded a couple of episodes on different shows this week, Rick? Uh, no, actually, this has been uh, the first week that I haven't had to record anything at all. Wow. Which has been uh, rather nice. I've actually been doing some editing this week. I uh, I put together my Disney show today, this morning, actually. Um, I have, uh, and then I have two United States of Geekdom episodes to, uh, to put together and put out, uh, in the next couple weeks. So, so you have a comic book friend who just did not even blink at Black Punisher. Um, he, he looked it up and he was like, oh yeah, that, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I was surprised you didn't know about Kane. Oh, I I think he did. I I gotta I gotta look back at the at the backlog on, on the on the conversation. Wow. But um. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. If he didn't, then my other co-host will definitely know. It's like I said. It's I just I just have a category categorically strong knowledge of bad comics. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> And most of them have the name McFarlane on them. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, here we go. <laughs> what? No? No, I agree with you. I, I'm not going to dispute it. Yeah, I won't dispute it. You will? No, I won't. Okay, <laughs> I good, have, good, good. I have good. no reason to. Good, good. I, I would hate to uh, injure you early on. <laughs> After all, you aren't fast. It's uh, him I, I take pleasure in injuring, and uh, as did Neil. <laughs> oh boy, it's. I didn't take pleasure in it, but it had to be done. <laughs> Come on, Neil. You, you know you finished that show, and you're like, "Oh, that felt good." You 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 were all macho man. Snap into a slam jam after that. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. God. Climbed up to the top rope and uh, let him have it. Yeah. Like I said, I just before Fest showed up at the convention, he said he was going to come to Texas in a Stetson, and I told him on Twitter, you know you're going to be the only asshole in Texas wearing a Stetson, right? In <laughs> Rick? Yeah. Was he? He was certainly wearing a Stetson. Was he the only one guy, guy in the room wearing a Stetson? Yep. Yeah, he was. <laughs> I'm just sad that he didn't send you the audio of when he was munching down that cheeseburger. Oh. <laughs> Remember maybe, I, we... maybe I shouldn't have told him where the tape stopped. Cause, Damn it. Yeah, because I think that's what it was. I was like, I only have the audio up to this one point, and he gave me his audio up to that point. <laughs> because, because Rick, t- tell Neil about how he devoured that cheeseburger. Oh, dude, he, he like, inhaled it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I could have sworn on my audio you could hear the chewing, but <laughs> but no, it was it was quite uh, lovely. The best part that was before the panel started, and Fest had this microphone, this fancy looking microphone, and he didn't know how to use it. And, like one guy sitting on the other side of me is like, like here I can help. And he's like, well, are you sure this is complicated? The guy's like, I'm an audio video, visual engineer. Give it to me. Remember that, oh, Rick? The, the, dude, the dude from Radcast, yeah. Yeah. Because because he was asking him how many mics it has on it, and if I was like, it has a front and a back. 
It was really funny meeting Fess again because Fess is just. I like making fun of him because he's just weird, isn't he, Rick? He, he seemed like a nice guy to me. I don't know. I, I, I I've worked with him in the past. So. Okay. Yeah, he seemed like a nice guy to me. Yeah. Well, he, he's the button of many jokes, so. I kind of figured that was the case. <laughs> well, just not with me, just in, in life. Oh, okay. It is his life. It is it is his lot in life to suffer. So. Oh. oh yeah, Neil, that was a great picture. <laughs> what happened was I sent Neil a picture of Fess, and, and Neil just did the rest. Yeah, when I was describing to Neil the, the giant cheeseburger. That's pretty brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, Fess saw it. He was like, "Yep, pretty much." And I'm like, "Oh man." <laughs> <laughs> And then you replied back like a rhinestone cowboy. Yes. <laughs> but uh, but no, yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Definitely. All right, you're gonna hang around while we. Yeah, I'll hang out for a little bit. Okay, cool, cool. So yeah, it's a we we'll, we'll definitely touch on the real uh, on the Disney Jungle Boy. I shouldn't say real because that's because mm-hmm. it's not it's not like they were sued by Loose Shime or anything. It's. Well, well, for that one, I think I think I'll have to sit down and actually check down uh, Jungle Book Two as well. Oh God, oh, it's uh, what I love about it is is the, is the, is the Louis Prima's widow's lawsuit. Oh yeah. So yeah, it's a, when I told Neil about that, Neil was <coughs> pissed that Jim Cummings was in trouble for selling for controlling his vocal cords that well. Yeah, he was he was a little too good with uh, with the voice. Also, the guy that they got to uh, to cover for uh, Phil Harris in uh, on Tailspin was very very close to Phil Harris. And then and they so, got John Goodman. No, that wasn't John Goodman on Tailspin. And I said, and then they got John Goodman. Yeah, well, yeah, and then yeah. they got John Goodman. Yeah, that's well, they true. they got the uh, they got John Goodman because both of the previous blues are now dead. Wow. The guy the guy from Jungle Book is uh, is gone now. Yeah, Phil Harris is long dead. I know the last thing he did was uh, was actually Rockadoodle. Oh wow. Oh, what what one to go off on? And and the guy yeah. from Tailspin is also dead. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. So I guess they made John Goodman the voice of of Baloo. Okay, yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, well, I he just sort of sounds like him. No, he, he sort of looks like a Baloo. Yeah, I, it was just like a, a balloon. Weird. It was a little weird hearing John Goodman in three. Disney or or Disney projects rather, because he was uh, he was Baloo in Jungle Book two, then he was also uh, Sully in uh, in Monsters Inc, and then he was also Pacha in Emperor's New Groove. I loved I liked Emperor's New Groove for only one scene. What is that? Bring it on the waterfall. Even Neil, who hates David Spade. Well, I, like I said, I think part of it is the animator because the animator just did this deadpan, I don't care look on his face. And he's just like, <laughs> bring it out. See, we just, uh, we, we just did our, uh, our Disney, uh, superlatives like best movie, best this, best that on, uh, on my other, uh, Disney show. And, uh, and yeah, uh, Emperor's New Group is a favorite of, of our, uh, our little trio on that show. And, uh, the spinoff show is shit though. Yeah, no, don't, don't get me started on the Emperor's New School. That just that was just that was just utter shit to no end. That was horrible. Neil, you do know about this, right? I do know about it. Okay, you do know about the you do know about the Hercules Aladdin crossover, right? Yes. It was like World's Finest, but with Disney and suck. What? Are you serious? Yes. They actually did go. They, they yeah, I mean, basically, there. basically Hercules and Aladdin switched villains. The, you know, you know, Hercules <laughs> had to fight too far, and wow. No, no, this 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 really happened. Wow, that's so they brought Jafar back a second time because did... well he was dead, so yeah. so Hades had access to him. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> and that sort of hurt the way that made sense, didn't it? Yeah, that really that that yeah. just scarred me. Because <laughs> I'm like, I, I wait love, a minute, he was kicked in the lava or whatever that was. I love hearing who was the. Oh, you, you'll love the name of the episode. It was Hercules, what? the Arabian Night. Okay, I'm looking that up. I'm going to watch that. On <sighs> here it is, right here. It is happening. Holy shit, that's awesome. No, it's not. 
And by and awesome, you can tell this is Acom as well. And and by awesome, I mean awesomely bad. I'm oh a fan wow, of, this this is this is Acom at its Acomiest. Wow. Yeah. Somewhere in a grave is the body of uh, of Walt Disney spinning. That's how they <laughs> powered Disney World. <laughs> but yeah, I love hearing the story of how uh, of of how James Woods was able to get the the right voice for Hades. Like halfway through his recording, he was just having a bitch of a time recording his dialogue, and he can't he couldn't find the character. One of the animators was like. How about you do uh, do your impersonation of Jeffrey Katzenberg? <laughs> and it's true. If you look at the pictures of Hades and look at a picture of Jeffrey Katzenberg, the the resemblance is freaking uncanny. So isn't there like a timeline issue with, with uh, Aladdin t- crossing over with Her- Hercules? I don't know offhand, but I just assume that, you know, th- that there would be. There was a theory that I... I I heard if it involves an autistic kid in a snow globe, I don't want to hear it. No, 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 no. That Aladdin actually takes place in the future. Then this is totally all fucked up. (laughs) See, it's one of those things where, you know, you you can't quite put your finger on it. It it should be wrong, but you don't know why. It's kind of like when you see when you see like uh, when you see the the T-Rex fighting the Stegosaurus and in Fantasia, it's like. You're like, you know, there's something wrong with this. I can't put my finger on it. Oh yeah, it's because those two animals never existed together. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's sort of it's sort of like watching. Uh... I just think it looked cool. So <laughs> are you are you watching this? I'm. Watching I am not. It. I'll, I'll I'll sit down and watch this later on. Yeah. So I can actually hear the dialogue and. Uh, the dialogue's not important. This is a Disney afternoon cartoon. <laughs> Bit much. Uh, see, like I said, see, Jafar is dead, so that means Hades had, uh, you know, ample access to him. Wow. So, uh, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes. Oh sense. my God, they're sitting in they're sitting in recliners talking to each other. Oh my God. Really? Oh, I gotta share this with my two co-hosts for the Disney Show. Holy crap! I, I bet you one of them knows about it. <laughs> oh, I, I I have a feeling neither of them know about this. Neil, gonna, what do you think? This is going to blow them both away. I didn't know about this until a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> this is almost as bad as American Tale 3, which we actually watched. Ooh, ouch. Yeah, yeah you, I remember we were, you were telling me that they that they uh, said that, um, that, <laughs> that, that part two was a dream. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They got it out of the way really quickly, and there's also a lot of uh, a lot of anachronisms there, like uh, like the Statue of Liberty is the wrong color. Yeah. And uh, my my favorite is they go into the subway and the subway is all uh, broken down and old. Well, the thing about the Statue of Liberty <laughs> is that if uh, the way you would know what the color is is you look at like paintings from the from that time, like like mm-hmm. Courier and Ives did did some did something with the Statue of Liberty, and it would have actually been black at that time. Because it started, oh. it started to oxidize very quickly, but it didn't turn green; it turned black. Yeah, and then it turned green. Yeah, it, but in wow. the first year, it was like a penny. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. But yeah, it's uh, so yeah, you can definitely tell this is Acom animation, right, Neil? Yeah, God, the animation is terrible. It's Acom. Yeah, but wow. it's all, it's all Nelson Shin's fault. At one time, this would have been sacrilege. Remember in the early 80s, like, Disney was, like, sacred. Oh, no. You know what's sacrilege? Is the the freaking have a laugh bullshit that they have going on right now on the Disney Channel. Mm-hmm. Where they, uh, they've they gone in and re-edited the original cartoons down. Re-recorded the voices with the current voices of the characters. I and mean, it's, it's a bastardization of the original product. Yeah. It's almost it's almost bad as a... As a as when they were doing in well in House of Mouse they can't have Louis anymore. Yeah. So I, they I, had so they had Louis they have Louis's cousin King Larry and it's it's <laughs> it is it is it is Jim Cummings Neil but it's Jim Cummings doing a different voice. He's not doing the Louis voice anymore because they lost the lawsuit. Well, if wow. it's if it's King Larry, please tell me he was doing Larry fine. No. Oh. He he's he's doing like a retarded Louis Prima. Oh. So Larry Fine would have been funny. Well, that's because you're you're a Stooges fan. 
But I had to question that because you did say uh, Shemp oh, was the best. you just don't understand subtlety. <laughs> You know, Come on, Curly, Curly, Curly was a one-trick pony. Curly invented the trick. <laughs> I bet if you asked John Kay, he'd say it was Rick, you have a stance on Stooges? Um, the new movie or the original Stooges? The original Stooges, the I only Stooges. Okay, I love them. Curly or Shemp? Curly. Yes! Always Curly, yes. Because you know why? He was the first one that I watched. He was he was the first of the of of those uh like Shemp when he came out I was like who's this guy? But yeah, Curly Curly is Curly's insane. It did take me a while to warm up to Shemp, but after a while I'm like, I, I, you know, this guy's actually kind of funny. I like Shemp too. I think Shemp is very funny. Yeah. But um but Curly had a certain something. Had like a certain like primal animalistic quality that just a certain genesis quoi? Yes, yes, definitely. Um, but I thought he was—I thought he was hysterical. I thought he was just brilliant. And his—I went when he when he he took a hit or like or was you know had pain inflicted on him. He made it look like it hurt. <laughs> you know, Kurt, uh, Neil. Kurt, I think you'll love this. Uh, you ever seen Dark Man, Neil? No. <laughs> ne- you've never seen Dark Man. I know what it is. I've seen scenes of it. Okay. Uh, <coughs> Bruce Campbell has a credit in Darkman, and his credit is the ultimate Shemp. <laughs> no, no. Final Shemp. Final Shemp. I, I'm i pretty sure it says the ultimate Shemp. No, sir. Final Shemp. Okay. Final Shemp. And the reason is is because uh, in any, any movie uh, pre-Spider-Man, uh, Raimi would always put in his, uh, in his credits fake Shemp's. Uh, basically to say, uh, you know, as like a tribute to the Three Stooges because they could tell whenever they were using a stunt guy instead of uh, real Shemp Howard. Mm-hmm. Or when they um, were cobbling together new shorts <coughs> when, after Shemp yeah. died. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Final Shemp was uh, was a nod to that. And uh, that was uh, that was a thing that, uh, that both Raimi and, uh, and Campbell had going on uh, that they would they would basically call each other a Shemp. So yeah, but um, but no, I um, shit, I forgot the, what the hell I was gonna say. This this Hercules thing is wow. You're still watching it? I it's like a train wreck. I can't help but watch, and the animation is so terrible. <laughs> I, being someone who who you know loves animation. Well, one loves animation, but also loves the way that the characters are done in, in the Disney films. To see them done like this, this is like this is sad. Well, you you do know you do know how uh, how Aladdin's design changed early in production, right? Because originally he looked different, and then they decided to make him look like Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah, I knew about that. Neil, did I you know about that? about that? No. Uh, okay, early in the production, Aladdin looked different, and then they decided to make him look like Tom Cruise. That's the whole story. Oh. <laughs> I wish there was more to it, but there really isn't. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to make him look more more uh, heroic. <clears throat> well, because you know, you know, Tom Cruise, he could fly. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> and jump on couches. No, have you ever watched the ten minute long uh, Tom Cruise talking about Scientology video? I have tried to avoid it like the plague. He he says that if there's a car wreck, only a Scientologist can save the person in the car. Oh, wow. He wow. said that he could fly. <laughs> wow, that's just bad. So, okay. So this first eight minutes, no, seven minutes and 40 seconds of this of this episode has been just Hades and Jafar talking. And hanging out. And hanging out, yeah. This is. Are you waiting for, the, for them painting each other's toenails? I yeah. There are no words. There are no words. See, at I, this I, point, Walt is climbing out of his grave, and someone's going to pay. Uh, well, this was during the Eisner era, so it would have to be Eisner to pay. Yeah. Because you don't see this kind of bullshit going on anymore with uh, with uh, with Iger in, tr- in, in power. <laughs> but yeah, like, this wow. Was, like during the eighties. There was like the longest time where Disney just did not do television animation at all. So when this started no. happening, I was like, oh, 
Well, uh, so yeah. so you're picturing Walt cramming out of the grave as he's shouting "Alien" when he's coming out. Well, no, during the '80s, um, I mean, they had the Wuzzles. Oh God. Yeah. They did. Uh, they also had Winnie the Pooh. That's true. Um, they, which was the the longest running of them all. The gummy bears definitely was theirs. Actually, Winnie the Pooh was the best animated of the farmed out stuff. Yeah, it really was. It really was. It had it had a lot of charm to it. Um, I have a friend that said to me once, "You follow the." Uh, oh yeah, he said to me this is but he says uh, follow the uh, follow the uh, shirted shirted poo to damnation. The shirtless poo leads to salvation. <laughs> okay. Have you ever seen the Russian Winnie the Pooh? No. No, I can't say I have. There's a Russian Winnie the Pooh. Wow. That's that's I, wow. <laughs> By the way, have you guys covered um uh Phineas and Ferb at all? Not yet. No. Oh my gosh, that's brilliant stuff. I think that's so. Should... So Hercules has a has a retarded friend that they captured with uh, with the James Wood trap, Neil. Okay, is that where they lay down the the pieces of candy and have like a box propped up? Yes. God damn it! How did I know that was the Family Guy joke? <laughs> because we're, how else would you know the James Wood trap? That's true. <laughs> I just remember mm, piece of candy, mm, piece of candy, <laughs> Ooh, piece of candy. <laughs> we hate Family Guy so much. I am Woods. not a fan. Part of it has to do with the fact that uh, Seth is a hack. Well, I think for me, what what pretty much shut me off on it was the fact that he he makes the joke run for way way too long sometimes. Yeah, and he always will will go for the lowest common denominator for the joke. And it that's that's why I'm not a big fan of Family Guy. He's like the or opposite American of Tex. Day. He's like the opposite of Tex Avery because Tex yeah. Avery, uh, Tex Avery's humor started out kind of slow, and then as as he progressed on, like the jokes started going faster and faster and faster, and it got to a point where there was no reaction time to like some of Tex's jokes. Like he would do a gag, and then like it's on to the next to the next thing. Oh Whereas, yeah. Whereas like Seth just keeps slowing it down, and I don't understand why. Well, no, uh, I mean, yeah, you're, you're right, though. I mean, a- Tex Avery would always start out subtle, mm-hmm. whereas Tex Avery, or whereas Seth MacFarlane goes goes blatant, and it's like not just blatant, but like you know, let's rub it in your face a lot. Um, I, although I, I will confess, I did quite enjoy Ted quite a bit when I saw uh, it. It's just an episode of Family Guy with live people. I I thought the the you, did you guys see it? I have not seen it yet. Okay, I can't spoil the the cameo that's in there because it's, I, I thought it was one of the funniest damn cameos I've ever seen in a movie. So, um, and the payoff for that joke is I thought was 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 one of the one of the funniest things I've seen this year. So, but um, but yeah. So, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and uh, head off, guys, because uh, I gotta get the kid to bed. Okay, so but, uh, just uh, enjoy this as much as you can. This episode of uh, Hercules. Yeah, I'm gonna try to. I'm going to attempt to enjoy it. Are you gonna actually gonna make an episode about this? We're actually recording an episode. Our next episode for um, for rediscovering the magic is about the straight to video releases. Okay, so this would this would be called destroying the magic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Episode after that, we're doing uh, like the the Halloween specials that Disney did. Was the one like Pluto goes to hell? Like, uh, no, uh, like Disney's Halloween treat with uh, Jonathan Winters as the uh, as the narrator. So you're not going to talk about the one where Pluto goes to hell? We may uh, we may end up talking about it. I'm not sure. You remember that one, right? I I do, I do. I think I actually have it on on DVD somewhere. It's a great one for the kids. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think that's then, in a vault somewhere, never to be seen again. Yeah. <laughs> Although they did show it in the 80s on like a, a Halloween special. Well, shit, on the uh, Walt Disney Treasure sets um, that are like the, the short the short uh, release ones, mm-hmm. uh, the limited run uh, ones actually have some really fascinating offensive stuff, too. 
the symphony hour uh, where Mickey pulls a gun on Donald. Wow. That's in there. Um, on the, on the, on the front lines uh, set, there's the, there's the instructional video that was made for Canada, which has uh, Mexican people shitting in a cornfield. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. Ooh. So wow. here, here's a, here's a ca- cartoon question for you. It's a, uh, hmm. You do know about the the great uh, cartoon conspiracy where MGM made a Tom and Jerry and mm-hmm. Warner Brothers made a made a Bugs Bunny and they're both about they're both about them playing in a concert uh, playing a piano in concert and it it's it's the same song yeah it's the same oh, song yes, yes same yes, basic yes, premise yes. because yeah. because of both of them the a mouse is an antagonist. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, that was who yeah. ripped off who? Oh I, God! I think it's almost certainly that Frizz ripped off uh, Hanna and Barbera. Well, that's because you think Frizz Freeling rips off everyone. Also, because uh, th- that mouse appeared only in that cartoon and never appeared again. And for for a Bugs Bunny subject, you know, that's kind of unusual. <laughs> I did enjoy that one because Bugs Bunny does actually shoot someone in the audience that was talking. That one is funny as hell. But do you uh, agree with Neil that that Warner Brothers are the plagiarists in that case? It 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 certainly seems to have the uh, the Me Too uh, syndrome going on. Yeah, because what happened was actually the they were both sending their stuff to the same place mm-hmm. or one part of the process, and and what happened was this place sent the Tom and Jerry accidentally to Warner Brothers midway through. Wow. Yes. <laughs> At least that's how I heard the story. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. I just sent you guys the uh, the cleanliness brings health. This is the thing with the with the Mexican people pooping in the cornfield. Yeah. And yet they I, won't release Song of the South. I know. I know. I showed this to my dad because my uh, my dad's Mexican. And he's like he just laughed it off. He was like, Yeah, no. Well, you know what? Been to Mexico. We don't. We have bathrooms. Do you oh. remember? Do you remember the uh, there was there was a couple of uh, Warner Bros. cartoons with two uh-huh. Mexican crows. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that's a little. That, I think that was pretty offensive. Yeah, that was that was pretty offensive. Actually, Disney has uh, some some really offensive characters too. I mean, uh, the crows from uh, from Dumbo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I mean, that's, that's just part of the list. And yet, oh, yeah. wow. The sad Mexicans. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you guys enjoy, let me know what you think of that one. So. All right. I'm watching. All right. You guys, it, it, it was great uh, talking to you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm heading off. I got to get the kid All to right. bed. So. All right. All right. Good night. See you later. Take care y'all. Peace. What up? Uh, we're looking for guests for Ghostbusters. When are you going to record Ghostbusters? Uh, probably next weekend. Yeah, uh, are we talking filmation or real? Damn it. Damn why? it. Why? why? <sighs> Shoot. Too many well, people I... asked that question. We well, were you go- said... We were going to pull a joke. Oh. Get someone to get all excited about Ghostbusters and say, yes, and I were recording filmation Ghostbusters. Yeah, and you're just like, oh, fuck you guys. Hang up. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funny, too, yes. But, yeah, no, I... I'd be down for either. I actually have the first volume of Filmation Ghostbusters around here somewhere. I hope it was a gift. It was like five bucks in a discount bin. I figured, why not? And then you watched it again. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I haven't watched it since, but, I mean, it was five bucks. I mean, that's kind of like uh, I found, like, volume two of Superman, the animated series, for, like, ten where in a Walmart bin for where everywhere everywhere else I've seen it's like twenty five. I was like score. Mm. So so I saw the uh, I saw the, dark, the uh, dark Knight Rises. What did you think? Awesome. Yeah, I'm just like then there was that whole thing with the shooting and I'm just waiting for the Columbine, you know, people to come out of the woodwork again. They already have. So, well, yeah, but I haven't seen anything yet personally. Uh, and I knew the thing is, I'm still laughing slash facepalming over that Rush Limbaugh thing. With Bane? Yeah, seriously. Like, I read I read the transcript. I tried listening to somebody put, like, a 
a, a slideshow of that clip from his show of Rush Limbaugh. And honestly, after about 30 seconds, I turned it off. Like, I honestly cannot, I cannot stand the sound of that man's voice on the level of, I would gladly he shoot him. He used to him. be a DJ. I know, but <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just everyone, I know, some, not, I don't know people, but I know there are people who like, you know, believe like our fans and you know the followers of Limbaugh as like there's no way any sane rational person would accept the word of a man you know this guy he talks all this smack and yet he's the one that got arrested at the border with a car loaded with oxycodone it wasn't loaded but anyways well you know he had way more than any one man should need he was a big man yeah Anyways, uh, anyways, Chuck Dixon is one of the only conservative comic book writers out there, so that was kind of silly. Yeah. And yeah, it's no, it was an amazing movie. I was I I kept on trying to guess where it was going to go and then it kept on surprising me and I was like, "Oh, this is awesome." Yeah. No, I'm going tomorrow afternoon. Oh, good, after good. It was it was so much it was so great because my expectations were already low after seeing that shitty amazing Spider-Man, so I was like, "Okay, I've got to drag myself into a theater." I, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue that it's shitty. I mean, I Uncle like... Ben died because of two pennies and a chocolate fucking milk. Oh, Uncle Ben died because Uncle Ben's going to die. The circumstances were surrounding him. He, he, he decided that his feelings of, 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 of indignant self-righteousness could stop a man with a gun in the middle of the street where he could have easily just backed away and nothing would have happened to him. I think I think you're just making more of it than it is, Ben. But that's, you know, I like the movie. There were flaws to be sure. I like the whole kind of Nolan-esque take because the fact that they made Peter Parker a character, I didn't really get that sense from the Raimi movies. Like I love the Raimi movies, but there's such a love letter to the comics. You know, they they just I I wanted to be a little bit more. I liked and mechanical web shooters uh, and the I, fact that Spider-Man quipped. Okay. Uh, I could I could explain why ruining that sequence of events ruined Spider-Man. I can explain it, and you will agree with me in two minutes. Make it quick. Okay. Steve Ditko is a genius in the way that he he crafted how the events happened. Because Steve Ditko, as an objectivist, had this idea, this notion that apathy to a situation is just as bad as being evil. The idea of the robber slash killer running directly past Spider-Man in itself is genius in that shows that all Peter could have done and had to do was just stick his foot out and trip him. But he was apathetic to the situation. Thus, that's why that's why him choosing not to act put Ben Parker in immediate, unescapable danger. The idea in this movie ruins that because the whole two-cent chocolate milk thing just ruins it because nowhere does Peter have that chance to do a minimal amount of effort to stop the guy. The guy is 30 feet across the street when the clerk shouts at Peter, well, stop him. It's like, who asked a teenager to stop a robber 30 feet away after he's running away? It, it, it's ridiculous. And then and then the idea that Uncle Ben, you know, all gung-ho, 80 years old, is like, yeah, I'm going to stop this guy with a gun. It, it's, it's ridiculous. And it also ruins the emotions that should be going through Spider-Man's head while he's being created as Spider-Man. Because the whole idea is he's supposed to be angry that this nameless faces killer he doesn't know killed his Uncle Ben. So he's angry. He's out for vengeance. He hunts him down, and then he discovers that it was the robber he let go. That that anger is supposed to immediately switch over to guilt. By doing it in this sequence of events, that guilt is never really there. It's not really potent because vengeance is much stronger because there's really nothing to be guilty about in that situation that they crafted in the movie. By making it more vengeance-driven, you have 30 minutes of Batman Begins versus having Spider-Man's origin. I, I will agree that this, the way Uncle Ben, like, the whole thing, yeah, like, why would anybody help this guy chase him down? I will agree that the way they did it was cheap compared to, the, you know, Peter not tripping the guy. But I'd argue that there wasn't any guilt at all. Like, Peter at the time wasn't feeling guilty, but I mean, once his uncle's dead, you know, he could never take back the whole, but I'm just saying that it's not perfect. I agree with you, but I still think it was. And and also by over, by overemphasizing the relationship with Peter and his uncle, Richard, his father, Richard, it de-emphasizes the relationship with uncle Ben. It, by overemphasizing the relationship with the absentee father, uncle Ben becomes less important. 
Well, yeah, there is that, but and Sally Field, great actress, love that, love the actress. She did nothing in this film. She had none of the presence Rosemary Harris did. No, but the thing is, they none made Aunt May in the first one. Like she's in there as, you know, they made her a major part of the script. So it's not really, you know, I loved Rosemary Harris's Aunt May. But again, it's like they said, there are a few things I, about the Raimi movies that bug me. Uh, it's not so much how much they had her Aunt May in there. Is they could have. That's why I like like the Ultimate Comics version of Aunt May. She was a little more vital. That's you know kind of like the Sally Field character. I mean, she didn't do a whole lot, but it's by the point the Raimi movies came out, I was so over Aunt May being, you know, so old and frail like that. It's like, can we do something else? But, but something else is is not nothing. Not to mention they did do something else with Aunt May. They made Aunt May a Spider-Man supporter. They made her they made her the person that gave Peter nuggets of wisdom, things that helped him shape ha- the person he was still becoming versus versus what the cartoons and comics did for 20 years by making her a caricature of oh that awful Spider-Man. The Raimi did do something different. Yeah, no, I I mean different and, beyond the fact like just she was basically cut and pasted the look of her. That's mainly my quip but i gotta get going here dude like like oh, i said it's, okay okay I got, but did i help did i change your mind any yeah there's a lot more flaws than i first thought but and not I to still, mention not to mention the just one more thing and then i will let you go and next week let's do either cartoons off of fighting games or yeah let's do cartoons off of fighting games next I'm week. good or what you want to do somebody that'll actually you'll spring that joke on your yes luck. i want to spring that joke on somebody Okay, no, I can see that. No, uh, cartoons based off of fighting games, I'll, I'll be down for that. Just let me know. Uh, one thing I hate is everyone I ask immediately says, wait, filmation are real. And I'm like, damn it! Well, that should say something about the people you're asking, Ben. <laughs> should say that they know me. Well, that they know their cartoons, maybe, or at least they know what you're talking about. But yeah, one more thing. It's uh, that carjacker scene hated it he he's torturing the man he is physically torturing the man it's not being silly spider-man quips he's torturing the man wouldn't you do that if you had superpowers and if you say no i know you're lying i torture people in other ways like uh uncle owen with a rifle don't die on me ben yeah, like Uncle Owen with a rifle. That's the way I torture people. Yeah, well, you can't really use that to torture me anymore because once you do that once or tw- talk about it once or twice, it kind of loses its effectiveness. You know that A-wing pilot that crashed into the Executor's Bridge? Yeah. He survived and became a Jedi. There's books about him. Uh... How's that? You just, dude, just let it go. That would hurt, didn't it? No, and just, just saying, let it go. It's you're so much better than this, Ben. <laughs> okay, I'll let you go. Okay, just uh, yeah. next weekend, uh, fighting games, cartoons. Yeah, no, it's not a problem, man. In Naruto. Oh God. <laughs> no, not Naruto. I <laughs> leave but, it. Oh, ah. God, I think I threw up in my mouth a little. The Beato. All right, have a good one. All right, bye.